Well, the last I heard from Andy, he was in um, Utah. Um, that's a long way from here, isn't it? I'm like, whew, he's brave. He said it'd be about five to 6,000 miles of driving they're gonna do as they visit the different state parks uh, across out west. So good for him, right? <laughs> oh, would you join me as we open in prayer this morning? Father, as we come to you, we ask that, um, Lord, that your word speaks to our hearts. And we realize the freedom we have in Christ and to use that freedom to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we give all to you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I took a youth group to Washington, D.C., where our youth choir and our puppets performed in the area where people wait. What's that called? The ellipse? What is that? Where they wait as they go to see the White House. What is it? Ellipse, something like that. Anyway, that's we were the choir and our puppets were performing there, and uh, so. But on our way to D.C., we stopped uh, in Philadelphia, where we saw statues and parks and Benjamin Franklin's grave. I read that people throw approximately three thousand pennies. I'm sorry, three thousand dollars of pennies on his grave every year. Do you know why they do that? What did he say about pennies? A penny saved is a penny earned. He earns $3,000 a year just from pennies. That's more than he made in his entire lifetime. He just continues to make money off of his grave. Franklin made more money in his death than he ever did alive. And so we also visited the building where the Supreme Court met and Independence Hall where the Declaration of Independence was signed and the building that housed the Liberty Bell. While we were viewing the Liberty Bell, uh, I heard... Uh, a tour guide saying that the Liberty Bell was made in England and after being shipped to Philadelphia, it cracked the first time it was used. The bell was recast, sent back, and they added more copper. They, they sent another one to put more copper in it. But it didn't have the, the ring. It didn't have that tone that the original bell did. So they did another bell and finally did, and it didn't sound any better. In 1828, the city fathers decided to give the bell to a bell maker by the name of John Wilbank in exchange for a replacement. Wilbank agreed to knock $400 off of his bill in exchange for this 2,000 pound relic. Finally, he decided it wasn't worth the trouble, but the city sued him. He took, so he, he relented, he bought the bell, he brought the bell back he, then he donated it back to the city. Wilbank believed that the bell was, worth, was not worth the trouble of even hauling it away. The metal was substandard. It was damaged. And it was rarely ever rung. And I think it's only been rung a few times in over 200 years. So because of the fear that it rang would bring total destru destruction, there was a time when nobody wanted the Liberty Bell. It was cracked, it was useless, it was good for nothing, and yet today, in order to get into the building where the Liberty Bell is housed, you have to go through a metal detector. It's guarded by armed guards to make sure that no one attempts to damage the bell. The Liberty Bell is valuable not because of its inherent value as a bell, but because it, has, it was once rung 
during the Declaration of Independence. It is now priceless because it had once declared freedom. Once declared freedom. In this month of July, uh, I'll be preaching this week and next week, and, and uh, I thought, well, we'll talk about that freedom that's in Christ. There's always been a price to pay for freedom, isn't there? And many people give their all in order that we can have the freedoms we enjoy. And if we take our freedoms for granted, we run the risk of losing our freedoms. And as Christians, it's our belief that Jesus paid the ultimate price by dying on the cross and paying the ultimate price for something that we cannot pay for. There's, a, there's an old chorus that says, he, he, uh, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid the debt that I could never pay. I'm afraid in America, uh, American Christians struggle in their faith because they have failed in the responsibility to maintain their freedom, therefore disobeyed God and his plan. Paul wrote in verse 18, we read this morning, and if you've ever read some of Paul's letters, it gets kind of confusing time, sometimes. He wrote in verse 18, what then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not to use my rights in preaching it. It's a free gift. I can walk up to you and I can hand you a gift, but if you don't accept it, if you don't take it, the gift is pretty much worthless, isn't it? You have to be willing to say, I receive that. And so Paul was saying, First of all, that true freedom comes in Christ or to us freely. It comes to us freely. We just have to accept it. It's a gift. And the words free of charge comes from a Greek word that means no expense, but it can also be interpreted as without devouring. And so that phrase may well be a play on words, you see, there were people coming to the Corinthians and they were offering them things and promising things, promising them freedom, but actually they were leading them into bondage. They were devouring them. So Paul was most likely using a double meaning to help the church see that these men, these people who were trying to help them were actually leading them astray. What entices you? that in the end will bring destruction. What entices you? On oh, America, we, don't we have so many choices? We are so blessed. And we can be taken away and led astray so easily. If you go in any other parts of the world, the gospel is growing by leaps and bounds. And yet, Sometimes in America, we feel like the Christians are struggling. Could it be that we're not offering the free gift that God offers to us? Paul was offering them the gospel and the freedom that the gospel gives and provides. Yeah, 
The gospel cost the life of Jesus, his God's son. But that's why we can offer it to others. The only true freedom can come, it can come by a free gift of eternal life offered through and by Christ Jesus. We read in Romans 6, 2, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. You know, there's a term we don't hear much about anymore in, in America, do we? Holiness. Now, holiness is not necessarily wearing ladies' dresses up to here and skirts all the way down and everybody's wearing, you know, coats and ties. Holiness is a lifestyle of living our lives to satisfy God. Let me ask you, have you received God's free gift of salvation? Being in the church for some 30-some plus years, I have known people who have gone to church seemingly all their entire life, set in probably thousands and thousands of sermons, and yet never made a decision to follow Christ. And in their own strength, they try to live a good life and they struggle. And sometimes some of the most miserable Christians I've ever met are people who try to do it in their own strength and not saying, God, <laughs> I need you to help me. So Paul was saying next that the true freedom compels us to serve the lost, to serve the lost. Many of our churches in America struggle because they're so inward focused. They, they tend to think that the church is about us. But the church isn't about you all sitting here. The church is about those who are outside these four walls who yet need to hear that God loves them, that he cares for them, that he has, has a plan and a purpose for their life, and it begins with taking the first step of accepting this free gift of salvation. Christ, in Christ, we're free, yet we're to be servants, servants of all. Now, to some people, Paul's lifestyle looked a little inconsistent. And yet his overriding purpose was that he gave up his rights to win others to Christ. He gave up the right to eat whatever he wanted to so that he could win some Jews. He revered the law, but he set it aside so that he might be able to win the Gentiles. He even identified himself with legalistic, weak Christians so that he might help them to grow in their faith and strength in Christ. It, it wasn't inconsistency, but it was rather an abandonment to a higher law, the law of love. You see, they'll know we're Christians not by the church we attend. They'll know we're Christians not by what gifts we might have. They'll know we are Christians by the love we share for one another. You see, it was love that drew me into the church. I grew up a heathen. Anybody know what that is? I grew up a heathen. I, we didn't go to church. 
And yet it was the love from the church that my wife and I started going to that just kept drawing me in and kept drawing me in until at the age of 21, I accepted Christ as my Savior. We were just at my, my home church closed just recently. On that corner, anybody know the name Billy Sunday? Billy Sunday was an old revival preacher, and Billy preached on that corner where the church was at, and he said he claimed that spot for the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's still a church going to meet there, but the Methodist church that was there has closed its doors. And one of the young ladies that was there as we were at the closing service, she said, Dan, I remember, I remember that night you came to Christ. She said, you cried more than any man I've ever seen in my life. And I said, I had a lot of garbage to get rid of. 21 years of doing my own thing. You see, Paul followed the example of the Savior by humbling himself to become a servant of all. And as a good witness, our goal is to build bridges to God and to help people on their journey with Jesus. There's a song by Casting Crowns that says, the people are looking for me, but they're on their, trying to, I can't remember how the words go. They're trying to find their way to me, to, to God, but they're stumbling over me. We could be stumbling blocks for people if we're not careful. We're reminded in 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit of, from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. And then Paul says, true freedom creates in us the law of Christ. It's, it's written in our hearts. It's written in our hearts. We know, especially when once we come to Christ, we know right and wrong. No one has to tell us. As a pastor, I don't have to stand up here and browbeat people and tell them, you know, you're bad here, you're bad there, you're doing this. It's just God will convict us because he writes that law in our hearts. And Paul believed that, and he taught, and he practiced that the law was crucified with Christ on the cross. You see, in, in Colossians we read, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Paul was not talking about a law written on paper. He was under greater law, and that was the law of Christ. James 1.25 says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that, is, that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Do you want to be blessed? Nobody? Anybody want to be blessed? You'll be blessed as you look into this perfect law of Christ. And I believe that God did it that way so we'd understand that he, he doesn't need important Christians, preachers, evangelists. He doesn't need important people we consider important to share faith with others. God wants all of us, all of us, to share the gospel and to tell people about Christ. God's not looking for super Christians. If you think you got your act together, you're wrong. Because <laughs> we all sin and fall short. We all struggle from time to time. 
You see, bringing people to Christ, what do we say in, in Methodism? Our purpose is to make disciples, right? And that takes all of us. How many of you can see one person a day, and how many is in here? Maybe 100? You can see a hundred times probably more people than I could see or Andy could see in a day's time because you're all, all meeting people day in and day out. And people watch us. If they know we're Christian, they watch us. <clears throat> One man observed that the scripture compares us to sheep. In Psalm 100, verse 3, it says, Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his sheep and the sheep of his pasture. Now, I don't know about you. I have heard that sheep are pretty dumb. I don't know if that's an insult that God compares us to sheep. Uh, but we all tend to make some dumb mistakes from time to time, don't we? And then the, mass, the man asked, besides wool, what else do sheep produce? Now, keep it clean. What else do they produce? Other sheep. We are to make other disciples. That's what we're to do. The flock of Christ is increased in direct proportion on how well we sheep, we disciples, do what disciples do, produce other disciples. So how are we to do that? How? How do we produce other disciples? Well, one of the things is we share this freedom that we have is to be eager. Y'all are a little on the downside today. I know the heat's out there. I know it's hot. And I know that heat tends to wear us out. I'm going to have you stand here in a minute, do some calisthenics or something to get you going, get some blood flowing to the brain. But, but be eager. You know, I don't know anybody that's going to come to Jesus by us going, well, you can lead an exciting life like I do. You can, you don't drink, you don't smoke, don't cuss, and don't date women that do. And um, just have a really exciting life. It's just really neat. You want to join me? I mean, how many people are going to be drawn in by that? You know, for crying out loud. And, and sometimes that's the image we put across because... Well, we Methodists, you know, we're kind of proper, like, you know, we want to be a little proper. My wife and I were at my daughter's uh, on uh, the 4th of July, and my son-in-law is a, well, I was going to say an ex-Marine, but if you're a Marine, you're always a Marine, right? Do we have any Marines out there? Here's a couple of them here. Thank you for your service. Um, anyway, they invited a bunch of other Marines. Um, Marines are known to be colorful. And there was a gentleman there at, at the 4th of July party, and he was talking to my wife, and I don't know how they got talking about me, but they started talking about me, and she was telling, well, at age 12, Dan started a band. He's played in bands until he was 21, and now he's playing in a band, in a, a Christian band where there's four other pastors, and they all play Christian, contemporary Christian music. And, and after he got done talking to her, he came to me. And I said, yeah, I'm... I play in a band. No, I didn't. <laughs> I go, yeah, I do. I do. I do play in a band. He goes, oh, wait a minute. You start out in rock and roll, 
And now you play in a Christian band? You play in a band with preachers? What do you guys play? Do you play hymns? I go, no, we don't play hymns. We play contemporary Christian, contemporary Christian music. Hmm. And you play in a church? Yeah, we play in a church. And he goes, wow, I, I didn't know they did that in church. And he said, is it okay if I ask you these questions? And I go, yeah, it's okay. No, I go, yes, yes, I, I, I'd, I'd love to share with you what happened. He says, well, you played in bands, you drank, you bit stupid, you did dumb things, and now all of a sudden, you're pre- what, what happened? What, what changed? And so I told him my story. You see, we all have a story. And that's what relates to people because he knew that I knew what it was like to be to do drugs or to drink. He knew that from speaking to me about my past. I don't dwell on that stuff. That's who I was. But 2 Corinthians 5.17, 1 Corinthians 5.17 says that in Christ, we are new creatures. The old has passed and behold, a new has come. I'm a different person than I was, wow, 40, <laughs> wow, 45 years ago. I'm different. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. That was my daughter. Thank you, dear. <laughs> Church says we'll keep them humble. humble. <laughs> and so I was able to share with this guy, and I did it in an, a way that he, he, kind of, he would lean into. He wanted to hear more. And that's what our purpose is in making disciples is making it so that people want to hear more, not, yeah, it's a very exciting life. You ought to try it sometime. And so we read in the, that, that the Spirit told Philip in Acts to go to the chariot and stay near it. And it says that Philip, no, it says Philip ran to the chariot because he was eager. He wanted to tell someone about Jesus and he didn't want to miss this opportunity. So he hurriedly got to the chariot so he wouldn't miss the opportunity. And virtually nothing else in this world as, is important as sharing and telling others about Jesus Christ. It may make us a little annoying at times. You know, my, my dad worked at Caterpillar and there was a guy, they called him the preacher. And he was just a lay person like the rest of you. And, but on his break, he would go to the bathrooms and he would put Christian tracks in all the bathroom stalls. Come on now, wake up. I mean, that's silly, isn't it? But you know what? My father read those tracks for 20-some years. And then probably, I don't know what, how old he was, in the 60s probably, he accepted Christ and he credits the preacher for putting those tracks in the stalls. He says, what do you do when you're in the bathroom? You just kind of got something to read. And he'd read those tracks. Nothing else 
is more important. Secondly, we got to be available. We got to make ourselves available. Not only was I excited to share with this guy about my life and about how Jesus changed it, but I was simply available. You know, he asked, do you care if I ask these questions? He was eager to hear. I think many times Christians see themselves the same way that people did back in the 1800s when they saw the Liberty Bell, that they believe that their Christianity is inferior. They believe that there's one big crack in their life. There's a, a flaw in their life, and they're, and they're disqualified from being able to share about Jesus. But Jesus uses broken people to tell others about Jesus because they can identify with you because you know if you've lost someone is important in your life and they've just lost someone, yeah, I know, I lost my mother. I know, that's, that's, that's hard. If a woman has lost a child in a, in a miscarriage, I cannot relate to that. I can empathize to it, but another woman can identify and her words have clout. People who have cancer, I've not had cancer. My wife's had cancer, but when she meets someone that's got cancer, guess what? There's this instant bond between those people because they're sharing in the same type of infirmities. God uses broken vessels. In our eyes, of, in the eyes of God, our value as witnesses does not depend upon our ability. Our value depends on our, avail, our, uh, our availability, not our abilities. Just be available. I don't know what to say. God says in his word, I'll give you the words. Just be willing to share. Paul said in verses 22 and 23, he reminds us that to become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. All of this for the sake of the gospel to share in the blessings. There's a story I want to close with of a spy who was captured. He was sentenced to death. There was a certain general who had this custom of giving uh, criminals, condemned criminals, giving them a choice to choosing between two options. At the moment of their execution, as it drew near, the spy was brought to this general, and he would say, what will it be, the firing squad or this black door over here? It's your choice. Firing squad, black door. He said the gentleman would hesitate. Different ones, different times, they would hesitate for a long time. And then they would choose the firing squad. They always preferred the known over the unknown. You see, people tend to be afraid of the unknown, and yet he gave them a choice. The aide said, well, what lies beyond the big dark door over here? What's on the other side of the door? And the general would say, freedom. But only a few had enough courage to choose the unknown. I want to ask you, have you found the freedom in Christ? You see... <laughs> Am I, I, I say B.C. days before Carol, before Christ, <laughs> and before children. In my B.C. days, 
If I were out with my drinking buddies, I acted one way. But when I was with her family, who were good church-going people, I had to act a different way. I had to put on a different face. And then one day you're at the mall, and you run into your drinking buddies and her family. Which face do you put on? You see, Christ gave me and he gives all of us the freedom to be who he created us to be. Just to be me. I'd be a pastor at different churches and they'd say, Preacher, I was here before you came and I'll be here after you leave. I said, yeah, that's right. But you're going to have to put up with me until I do leave. And we can agree to disagree and just do that. Or we can fight and argue all the time. But I'd prefer just to agree to disagree. And you know what? I'm going to be who I am. And you can either like me or love me, hate me. But I'm going to be me. So accept me or don't accept me. And that's what Christ has done. He's given me that ability to be who he created me to be and not to have to put on a face for different places I find myself in life. Have you chosen to use your freedom to serve others and to tell others about the freedom that you have found? Remember I said earlier, I know a lot of times people in churches never make the decision to follow Christ. And try to do it in their own strength and are miserable. I want to ask you, would you like to have that choice? I'm going to pray, and then when I get done praying, the band's going to come. They're going to play a song, and during their song, I want to... If you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ, if you've never experienced the freedom to be who God created you to be. I want to invite you to come and there are kneelers on both sides up here. And I know, I, you know I'm, I, I talked to Tim about it. It's like, I don't see this happen very often, but sometimes we don't give people the opportunity to make a choice. That night, 45 years ago, I was made an offer. And mine was to continue my life or to change not a firing squad and a, a door. And I chose to follow Christ. Pray with me. As, and then at, as the band plays, uh, come forward if you would like to receive Christ or, or maybe you just need a renewal and a strength to be the witness that God's called us to be. God, I, I come to you this morning and thank you for this opportunity and privilege to, to share your gospel to help people to realize how free we can be in Christ. That we don't have to wear all kinds of different masks. We don't have to be someone else to please a loved one, a spouse, a friend, but free to be who you created us to be. And so, Lord, there are people here today, and maybe... Anytime you have a group of people like this, there's always an opportunity. There's always a possibility that someone has never accepted your free gift of salvation. If you're wondering how you begin that, it's just, it just begins with a simple prayer. One step, and God will show you the next one. God, I, I come to you right now. <laughs> and I'm, I'm broken.
I'm flawed. I'm not worthy. And you tell us to come just as we are. And you'll make the changes in us through the power of your Holy Spirit. So God, I, I receive you into my life. I want to serve you. I want to be your witness. But God, you're going to have to help me. But I want to begin today. I want to take that first step and say, come into my life, Lord Jesus. If that's you today, I, I offer that free gift of salvation. Close the band plays. Ask you all to stand. If you feel like you would like to come and have someone pray with you, I'd love that opportunity. Let's stand and sing.